This is Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From the UK, I'm Dave Knott, and joining me from New Zealand is Dave Wood. Hang on a minute, I just need to move. I've got one of these, um, <laughs> I've got one of these, um, I don't know what you call them. They're like these Chinese kind of cats that sort of wave at you. Oh yeah, yeah, with the, the one arm, what, one paw sort of thing that goes up and down yeah yeah and it's sort of sat on my desk waving but it's waving so vigorously that it's sort of going like click 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 every time it waves i'm just gonna put that in some shade it's one of these solar powered ones so i think if i put it in the shade (laughs) crisis averted (laughs) i hadn't thought about that of course it's light where you are it's uh is it still dark yeah it's dark here at the moment so what time like how long till it gets bright where you are be another another hour or so before the sun really starts to make any any sort of impact it'll be like half light when i sort of get my bus um and then by the time i'm in the city it's then fully bright so it's probably because i'm sure there must be a point where it's almost light here and it's almost light where you are yeah yeah there is yeah oh how 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 can i see it hang on i thought if i put the world, world clock did something like that you could see it on the um on the clock app if you turn the phone sideways but i think that must be some other app isn't that a watch face yeah, yeah, there is a watch face with it as well that sort of shows the daylight hours um, across the across the globe. Yeah, and and you can there is a point where where it sort of coincides, um, and you can sort of see that it's it's light here and light where you are as well. I'm just looking at it now, actually. Although it is so bad, like the performance, like so bad, to the point where it's just not even recognizing my touches. Yep. Yeah, laggy as all hell. That being said, I still don't feel in the market for a new watch. No, not yet. I don't know. I just, I just don't use it enough. That's fair. Yeah. I, like, I feel like what it does now, I don't really need any performance because it just pops up a notification saying like you've messaged me. Mm-hmm. Now I just pick up my phone anyway. Yep. And that's kind of like it's just served its purpose at that point. I check the time, I receive notifications, and occasionally change the volume on my AirPods, but that's becoming less and less. I honestly don't know if I if I got a Series Four tomorrow, what would I do that's different? Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that. No, me either. To be fair, um, I mean, I sort of assume that I would use it more, um, but I don't know if I'd just use it more when I first got it, and then it would sort of taper off down to just notifications again, which I kind of suspect it would. Yeah, I think it's it's almost kind of just the nature of the device means that I'm already kind of maxing it out. And even if I get a way faster watch, it's still going to be doing the same stuff. I mean, yeah, fair enough. It might respond a bit nicer to touches and things like that. I just don't, yeah. I, You know, when it first came out, you saw the ads kind of like, read your emails on your watch, browse Twitter on your watch. and Yep. I just, I'd never did that. No, um, the only time I've ever done that has been when my phone has been far away from me, like, you know... I don't know, I've left it on the desk or something and I've gone to go and get a coffee and I want to check something. And even then it's, it's this sort of pure laziness of just not wanting to walk all the way over and grab the the phone again, really. And and these days I just don't bother and I, I you know, wait that fraction of time until I'm back to my phone sort of thing. I think to me the phone is just too important. Yeah. Um, like there's, I know we're, like, we're seeing a... With, um, what came out of WWDC, things like watch independence, things like that. And sure, I'm all for that, but it, it's never going to take over my phone. I just can't see it. And maybe I'm completely wrong and I just come, I don't have enough vision or, or whatever, but I just cannot see that being the case. Because every time I use my watch, all I really want to be doing is using the phone. Yep. And that's not because it's slow. Even if I'm doing something on the watch that even on my Series 0 still performs relatively well anything that goes beyond looking at a notification or changing the volume i'm just like oh, I, just, I just want the phone yeah i'm, I'm um, very similar to be honest i mean like i like the watch and i like the idea of, of kind of independent apps and using it for a little bit more but it's kind of like i like it in principle i think in practice my use sort of boils down to yep just notifications and much else i, I really do want to sort of just reach for the phone uh, so I feel kind of conflicted. I feel like I want to defend the watch here a little bit, but I'm not really sure how in some ways. <laughs> I think if I was like a runner yeah, or, or something like that, then yeah, I could maybe justify upgrading because you 
first of all get GPS that we never had in our Series 0. You've got more in-depth heart rate stuff, haven't you, on the new ones, thanks to the ECG stuff. Yep. I suppose full detection might come in quite handy for a runner. And obviously cellular, so yes. that you can take calls when you're out on the run and obviously listen to music through your AirPods with just your watch. Yeah. That, to me, makes sense for like that type of person, but for for me... I mean, I don't run. I sometimes go out on the bike. Um, but then I always have a rucksack and I'd keep my phone in the rucksack anyway. Yeah. There's just never an instance where I'm without my phone. I'm, I use I use one of those pouches to sort of hold my phone on my arm when I when I run. And, you know, that, that sort of means that then I've, I've got my phone with me when I'm running. That's, that's not a problem. It doesn't really unbalance me in any, t- you know, major way. So it would kind of free me from that. But this, I'm trying to think it through. Would I really use it? I think for the runs in my local area, yeah, for sure. Uh, but then I'll do a, a park run on a Saturday morning that's a, sh- a short drive away. I would still take my phone with me for that because otherwise the phone would be in, in my car because I probably wouldn't just leave it at home. So in which case at that point I'd, I'd, I'd take it with me rather than leave it in, in the glove box or something. So there's a limited number of times where I would actually see the full benefit of the cellular. Do you not think you would just take the watch if you had a cellular watch? Probably not, because I would probably want the phone afterwards, just just in terms of how I use it, yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe I guess is the answer. And then perhaps, I, again, I'm, I'm suffering from a lack of vision with this or something, but yeah, in, in all likelihood, it would probably only be any use for me like once a week. Uh, when I do my run in my local area rather than taking the drive. I do worry about like lack of vision in general, like the last few weeks, especially around Dub Dub, just because I keep hearing lots of excitement about things that I'm not excited about. Yeah. And I just think, am I kind of missing a trick? You know, is it is it just not for me and that's fine? Or, or could it be for me and I, ju- I just can't see it? Hmm. I'm, I'm thinking specifically mostly the iPad when, when I talk about this. But. Okay, so iPad OS... Yeah, and then I suppose like they were saying about the watch again, the conversation we've just had, and then so that's sort of part one, and then part two is iPad OS. I don't know. I just feel like I'm kind of a bit like yeah about things, but then I see a lot of other people getting really excited about it, and yeah. I'm just not kind of sharing it. And I just wonder whether sort of fast forward sort of five ten years, I'm going to be that guy clinging onto my MacBook, being like, no, don't take it away from me, and then like <laughs> the whole world is like iOS, even like Xcode for iPad is going to be out by that point, let's say, and all this other stuff. Yeah. And I'm still running like Mac OS Classic or whatever it's called by then, or like the MacBook Classic. <laughs> um, you know, all this kind of legacy stuff that they're still keeping around, but really that's not where the train is headed kind of thing. Possibly, but I guess I kind of think, well, by the time we're at that point, if that's a point that, that things are progressing to, um, there'll, there'll be enough has sort of moved over into the, the iOS world or iPad OS world or whatever to sort of keep you happy. Um, it's, yeah. You know, that's sort of quite a way away, I think, at the moment. And I'm not even sure that's, that's particularly where we're headed. But, yeah, I kind of see what you mean in terms of not necessarily feeling enthused about certain things and other people are really raving about them. Um, it's one of those dub-dubs in a lot of ways. It's one of those WWDCs uh, in that there was so much that there was kind of something for everybody you know, like, I mean, I'm pretty sure I, I'm quite chuffed with the idea of Swift UI and everything that that's bringing. And I'm sure oh, there yeah. are people out there who are going, um, I'm quite happy with the UI kit and auto layout. What are you doing? You know, I don't need to use use that at all. Um, and I, I'm kind of like, no, I, I want to use that as soon as possible with uh, the things that I'm working on and kind of leverage the benefits that that brings. But yeah, you could, I could see the argument that it's you know let's wait a while or ui kit does does what we need or whatever it kind of feels like well we've had that much land that it's probably impossible to be enthusiastic about every single piece of it do you know if you see what i mean everybody's got their own focus everybody has their own bit that's sort of special to them um and I, yeah I, that's a that's a valid point for me that's yeah. been one of the bits about this wwdc that's been quite a good thing you know i i, I can sort of think well this was like one for everybody in a lot of ways 
Yeah, I mean, they were like firing on all cylinders, I would have said. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we got the dev tools, we've got iPad OS, we've got watch independence, we've got the Mac Pro, the Pro, I mean, like, <laughs> it would, they were just like home run after home run, really. It's, um, it's, it's, it's quite incredible. This is, I think this WWDC is going to go down as, as, you know, when we look back on it, this will be a year that we talk about a lot. You know, remember the year when yeah. dot, 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 Swift UI was launched, the Mac Pro was launched, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, still still really excited about the Mac Pro, even though, like we said last week, never going to buy one. And yep. if I do, I probably deserve a very stern talking to by you and anyone else in my life being like, what <laughs> are you doing buying that computer? Um, yep. Yep, but even but, yeah, then, still, it, it's, it's, it's great that it's here, you know. It's so cool, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I'm just excited for it, really. I'm, yeah, just can't can't wait to... Yes, it's only... I, again, do you see the uh, the launch date for it being September? No, no, I didn't. Yeah, so I, I, I thought, you know, and it's coming in the fall, which basically means, what, December 12th or something like that. Mm-hmm. That That is generally what I expected. And then, no, September. So it's not going to be long until we start seeing some, you know, actual real-world tests, reviewers, you know, getting yeah. their hands on them. It's going to be great. We're going to be excited for it. I wonder if they'll have them in the uh, setup back in the Apple stores again. Well, they've got them, they've got the trash can in my local store, which... Yeah, relative to all the other Apple stores I've ever been in, is quite a tiny store. Okay, um, and they've got a trash can and a LG 5K, I think, kind of at the back. Um, I always kind of laugh whenever I see it. <laughs> it's yeah, kind of like, it's like they have to put it on sale. But imagine if you're one of the sales guys down there, and someone goes, "Oh, could I buy that trash can?" You'd have to be like, "Are you sure you really want to do that?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, give it a couple of months. Have a look at this iMac Pro. And the iMac Pro is still a great machine, I think. I mm. think even in light of the Mac Pro, especially for people like us, yep. devs, that, even an iMac Pro is probably overkill, being totally honest about it, but it's slightly less overkill than a Mac Pro that it almost makes it seem like a reasonable option. <laughs> it's that whole thing as well, that if you were looking at um, a Mac Pro and the monitor that they've, they've released as well, um, an iMac Pro becomes quite a good deal in terms of you've got the screen you've got this horsepower you know and and you've kind of still saving a bit of money versus just buying the monitor i guess there's there's some logic without without the stand yeah yeah exactly and that was that was a terrible moment for like apple keynotes um just the gasps in the audience when they mentioned that stand that was uh and even made the presenter um sort of stammer did you notice Mm -hmm. that yeah yeah that was not a comfortable moment i just I still feel like they sold it wrong at that point. The the, the whole focus of, of the uh, the pricing uh, just didn't need to be there. For, for I just don't know how it. it got on the stage. How how did it get through all of the layers of like marketing? And they've obviously got huge amounts of talent within Apple in terms mm-hmm. of their like communications team. How did that get through? It just seemed like they had all the ingredients there for like a, a, a fairly decent pitch. Yeah, don't get me wrong. It's it's an expensive piece of kit. But just the way they positioned it, it just seemed like they really missed a trick. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, they were pitching it against that Sony $43,000 reference monitor, which can't sustain a 1,000 nits. Mm-hmm. In fact, apparently it's got a, a hardware light on it that lights up when basically the monitor overheats and it can't. It has <laughs> to, like, dim itself. Yeah. So this light comes on on it to say, no longer trust this image. And this is like a forty plus thousand dollar monitor. Yeah, then you got Apple coming in, being like, "Oh yeah, ours will maintain it, and it's high resolution, and it's got incredible viewing angles, and mm-hmm. we've done all this crazy stuff with the backlight and the the stand. It's got all this incredible gearing in it, so that it makes rotation and positioning the monitor feel effortless. And it's only seven thousand dollars. But instead, they said it's six plus one thousand dollars, which caused all this outrage. Yep." If they just said it's a seven thousand dollar display, and if you want the visa mount option, it's uh, sixty two ninety nine or sixty one ninety nine. Yeah, I mean they they may, they may even have got claps in the audience for that potentially, and and I think that they could have just perhaps even taken money off the table with presenting it, and and you know literally just sort of put put it that they were bringing this product to market, and then you know you see the price later on. Because not everything they announce has to have that, that that price with it, I guess. You know, it could have been a sneak peek of the monitor that is also going to, to come out later this year um, and, and just, just leave that ambiguous, potentially, I guess. There would have been speculation then about the price and all of that in the press, um, but it would have been a different kind of message because I think 
for me, that's that's part of the problem is that when that was announced, it was announced to a room full of developers rather than a room full of video professionals. You know, the audience was was wrong for for receiving that product in the form that it's that it's in. Um, I don't think the product is necessarily wrong. Um, I, I can't quite get myself there with a thousand dollars for a monitor stand, but you know, all in. Assume that it was bundled with the stand itself. I think it's priced quite quite fine against other options. So had the conversation not come up about the thousand dollar for the stand option, if they just said rather than fifty nine ninety nine, it's a sixty nine ninety nine monitor. Yeah, we, I'd have probably gone. Yeah, yeah, sure, okay. Yeah, like it's expensive. It's not for me, but relative to the forty three thousand dollar Sony, that's a sixth the cost for what looks like on paper and from this presentation a much better monitor. Yeah. And then for the professionals who don't need that stand, it, it is then a discount on configuration rather than being, you know. Yeah, don't even don't even bring it up. Just you know, when when you put the online store up, and then you say, "Oh, I'd like the Visa option," have like a minus eight hundred dollars next to it, and then everyone will be really happy. Yeah, you know, for those that don't need the stand, you can save eight hundred bucks. Brilliant. And Apple don't need to publicly come out and say it. They could just kind of let Mac rumors do the talking because no doubt they'll write an article about it and the people who need to know will know and then there wouldn't be all this negative press. It just seems like it was such a such an avoidable thing. And yeah. I'm, I'm just surprised that this slip-up happened. But I guess, you know, Apple, it can be seen as this like giant company that we expect to be flawless in every way, but actually it's, it's just people at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah. So I suppose. I think the only thing with that one is, is, like I say, it sort of feels like they really didn't understand the the audience at that point and, and that that kind of irked me um just a little bit that i don't like the idea that um developers meet the this kind of apple category of pro that means developers should sort of want the absolute maximum of, of everything that if you see what i mean that um, to sort of present the mac pro and the monitor to developers at dub dub kind of implies that this is a machine for you and, and running it through i really don't think it is for most developers um no. so it kind of kind of hurt me in that sense i'm glad to see it and i think it's appropriate to announce it um but yeah it's it's a funny one i guess they couldn't get away without without showing it and i would have been very annoyed if they hadn't um but yeah that that the delivery of the monitor uh, was was awkward i guess where this is the best place they have got to show it off though i mean they could never really launch that monitor at the october event alongside a macbook air could they so i, no. I guess a room full of devs although they might not be the target market for it they're more likely to understand why it exists yeah and move on um imagine if they launched that alongside the macbook air at a consumer focused event it wouldn't have worked it would have been a then a silent announcement i guess and just a product update on the sides and that wouldn't have been quite appropriate either no excited that it exists though it's going to be a good monitor i think in a way though it's almost actually served as quite a useful piece of consumer research because i've seen a lot of people since the announcement of the pro xdr display saying Actually, I would really, really like just kind of a 27-inch 5K, basically a 5K iMac without the iMac. Yep. Like a Retina Thunderbolt display, and there's been a lot of people asking for that. So I guess that's kind of, that might encourage them, hopefully, if they're not already working on it, to start working on a product like that. Because there's no way, I mean, I'm sat here now thinking I'm looking at moving to a MacBook Pro. Um, Would be very nice to have a decent monitor on a desk so that when I do want to dock it with a monitor, I can obviously no way i'm getting that pro display so what are my options at that point kind of lg or dell it's uh yeah it's a a slippery slope isn't it once you start on that path i'd much rather have a an imac kind of shell you know that 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 is doing the whatever it needs to do to, to to be a monitor for another machine we used to have target display where you could put an imac into um, monitor mode yeah and um, i kind of kind of wish that you could do that with modern imax yeah i guess the issue you've got is that they're running or they certainly were with the model i had was that they were running two uh was it two pci express lanes or thunderbolt lanes to drive the display, display port lanes 
yeah, yeah, to drive the display, and then they were merging them internally with a custom chip they'd made, like a timing controller, to stitch the two signals back into one image. Yep. I mean, that's, obviously, I suppose you could now. Now we've got um, Thunderbolt 3. If you're going to be running a 6K display off of it, it stands to reason you could run a 5K display off of it. So I guess we're in a different time now. So Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it would be nice to have an iMac that you could put into target display mode. Um, I, I did even consider, actually, well, maybe I could just buy an old 27-inch iMac like non-retina off of ebay or something for i don't know 300 pounds or something like a really <laughs> old one like don't worry about the spec of the internals just literally get it for the screen yep and just accept that when i plug in on the desk it will be a non-retina experience and i sit quite a way away from the monitor anyway i'm not entirely sure i reap the benefits of having retina on the imac i mean it was lovely don't get me wrong but yeah when i compare it to the retina experience i get on the phone and the retina experience i would likely get from a macbook given how like when i sort of sit on the sofa with it on my on my knees um i'm closer to the screen than i would be to a desktop display then yeah i'd consider it yeah still still good displays even now yeah uh, the only thing i would look out for is some of the older ones uh the place i used to work they had some older ones that they worked hard and you started to get um, sort of outlines on the display mm-hmm. that looked like it was sort of following the the like heat marks on the screen, almost like where the chips were. Yes. And they were causing discoloration. Um, yeah, probably so, at a uh, point now where those machines are, are so old that I'm not sure I would be considering it really. Um, yeah. But, I mean, that's the thing, though. I mean, that that's the shape that we want, essentially, is, is the iMac shape as a, as a monitor... Um, to go with machines like you know the the MacBook Pro, or in my case the Mac Mini, I, I'd, I'd be quite happy if I could get a couple of um, like lower spec iMacs and use them in some sort of pass through mode with with my machine. Um, because I mean that would be an expensive way of doing it, but if I could look at say the um, the 4K iMac. Don't care about the spec. Don't care about anything, um, and that that is a four K monitor of that shape that I can just have on my desk. I can potentially add another one later on or something. That that's kind of what I would like. I mean, obviously, I'd like it cheaper and just more functional as a monitor. Um, but it feels like there's something there for me in terms of what Apple could do. Because um, when you think about it, a monitor is you obviously you look at it. It's the thing you look at. You know, if you're spending all day looking at a HP logo or a Dell logo, it's kind of not very good for Apple. <laughs> yep. Really, is it? You you want your users to be looking at an Apple logo all day long. You don't want them looking at an LG logo. And then before you know it, that user starts to think, you know what? This LG has been pretty good. I'm kind of liking LG now. I'm starting to feel good about LG. Maybe I might consider buying other LG products instead of Apple products in the future. And then, you know, it's a... Yeah, Samsung you know, or, you know. Slippery slope then, isn't it, you know? Um, yeah. Even, yeah, like you say, if you've got a Samsung monitor, hey, this Samsung monitor, fantastic quality, brilliant price. Apple would have charged me probably four times what I paid for the Samsung version. Um, yeah. Oh, look, uh, the Galaxy S11's out. That looks cool. And then all of a sudden it's, uh, you know, the the cart is moving, isn't it, in that direction? So Yeah. Yeah, so I really do hope they do look at doing something for the consumer. Um, rather than just the the pro monitors, it's nice to see them kind of get back into the monitor space again. Yeah, and and I would like to pair an Apple monitor with with my Mac Mini, um, but I think for price and every other reason, you know, it's going to be third parties for me um, as I upgrade my monitor. Um, if they could do something for nine ninety nine, I think I would. It would give me pause if I was in seriously shopping for monitors. Yep. You know, by the time you start going for the other brands, you start going for something decent, you start creeping up into the five or 600 range. I think me being me, and maybe a bit stupidly, I'd be like, you know what, let's just do it properly. If we're going to do it, do it properly. Get the Apple one. Yeah. And that's the end of it. I think if they start creeping up to like twelve ninety nine or even eleven ninety nine, I'm going to be like, you know what, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you can almost buy an iMac for that like a, yeah. on its own. Um, absolutely not. Yeah, I think I think I feel the same. To be fair. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'd like to have an Apple monitor sat on my desk. Um, I think is is really the message that I, as a, a kind of consumer prosumer, I guess, in terms of my use at home. Uh, you know, that's the message I'd like Apple to to hear. 
And I think a lot of people in business would buy it as well. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, like design studios, things like that. You know, p- companies that equip their employees with MacBooks upon arrival. You know, if you're running some kind of studio, maybe similar to the place you work at or the place I used to work at, you get clients walking in. It looks pretty cool to see a room full of iMacs. Yeah, it gives. It's like, oh, this place is the real deal. They've got iMacs everywhere. They must know what they're up to, kind of thing. I know it sounds daft to say it. And no, it presents an image. It's it's a branding thing. It presents a very good image. Yeah, yeah. Especially like in the design world, things like that. I think it it presents quite a powerful image to to clients and things. Whereas if you walk in and you just see a flood of like Dell monitors, it's like no, that 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 doesn't stop me in my tracks at all. No, it doesn't stand out in the same way at all. Well, there you go. <laughs> it's like half an hour <laughs> we've spent talking about monitors and uh, yeah, like I kind of feel like we've had a bit of a rant. Um, I kind of feel like I need to talk about um, one or two of the the sort of more dev focused bits. There's one thing that's really leaping out to me. Uh, I've watched a few of the session videos now, and and that is um, SwiftUI. So SwiftUI for me, I think, is probably the biggest thing as a developer that's, that's sort of come out of last week. I think we should maybe add like an applause track for when you mention SwiftUI then for the first time, have like a load of cheering and applause, because <laughs> I, I think it, it changes everything for me, to be quite honest with you. Um, I'm so glad that pre-WWDC trying to think back when it was like april or may time i was saying oh you know i'm, I'm getting back into developing like read list after like you know, oliver's sleeping well now and normality is starting to come back into things like after oliver was born in december and i kind of stopped myself going crazy on the dev because i thought you know by the time i get into anything in any serious way basically dub dub will be upon us and wow i'm so glad i didn't rush into the code because that is something i'm kind of bad for just sort of throwing caution to the wind and just hacking away at Xcode yep. rather than actually developing the idea of the app, which is actually what needs my attention or did need my attention at that time. Because um, I'd be I'd be unpicking everything right now had I got, you know, gone into Xcode in quite a serious way. So I'm super glad I didn't. You know, you'd, you'd have a rebuild to do, I think. Um, if, you, if you'd done that, you would have your, your kind of prototype on its way or whatever, um, all in UI kit. And you would need to take a step back, probably open a brand new project and start yeah. bringing stuff into SwiftUI if that was the direction you wanted to go. Yeah. I mean, the bits of code I did do, like when I said to you, I'm getting back into it, most of that was, I guess you could say, the model. Yep. So I don't think it was effort wasted, but like, wow, when when they started the demo in SwiftUI and watching the WWDC sessions, it's a, it's a phenomenal effort that they've gone to, I think, to, to do what they've done. And yeah. Yeah, it's, it's quite a piece of technology. For me, it it strikes me that this solves an awful lot of problems that I've been solving in, in other ways as well. So, I mean, just in terms of like how bindings and that side of stuff works to sort of send um, signals down into your view layer when certain things change. Uh, the, I mean, have, have you seen the, uh, the data flow in SwiftUI session? No, that's the next one I'm going to watch. I think I've watched two so far. Okay. And I think I've watched them in the order in which they appeared at WWDC. Yeah. Um, sort of following the schedule. Um, Data Flow is, is the next one I plan to watch. And looking at Twitter, it's kind of the one I'm starting to dread a little bit because I've seen a lot of people like, oh, wow, that one was a tough watch. Like my head started <laughs> spinning at some point. So I'm going to sit down with a pad and paper in front of the Apple TV and uh, just sort of diligently take notes, I think, as we get as I go through that one. Okay, so if I'm avoiding any sort of spoilers, as it were. Oh, don't worry about spoilers. Okay. Crack on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for Spoil me, away. The, the, the the big things out of that session is is that it it kind of solves a lot of problems in terms of how you would uh, inject data dependencies to the view layer. In some ways, there's there's, there's mechanisms for solving that. There's you you can bind things uh, directly when you create the view, view layer so you can send uh, variables down into the initialization of, of the struct that is the view um, and then you can you can bind uh, state variables inside of the view to that um, so that can be used to sort of drive changes in the view layer when, when those things when those variables that you've bound the view layer to change and update, the body gets updated uh, on the view layer, 
uh-huh. the Swift UI handles, all of the diffing between what you had before and what you have now, um, and graceful animations or changes of state between the two. Um, so that's one method. And there's another method in terms of um, supplying uh, stuff into a environment. Uh, I don't know what to call it. It's, it's, it's essentially a, a, a variable that's accessible f- uh, from inside of the view, and you can add things to the environment. And this is where things like theming and that sort of stuff lives, and um, dark mode and that kind of thing as well. Uh, but you can add your own stuff there and then bind to that. So in my case, I work with a situation where um, I've got a coordinator design pattern which controls the flow between my screens and it controls the instantiation of view controllers and and any of their dependencies and things that they need. And if I want to send something that a view is responding to um, into it so that it can kind of link up to it, um, I essentially do that from the coordinator and I inject a, a like a, a struct that's got all of my manager objects hanging off of it that, that control various parts of the app and then the view controller can access that and that's how I'm doing stuff today uh, I can see with Swift UI I can potentially add my managers to the environment and then the UI level can just access them so I don't have to manage that injection I can just do it once somewhere globally at the start of the app you know here's where all my managers can live inside of the environment and then I can bind to that from my view layer so that sort of solves a big aspect of passing that dependency through I think potentially Um, bear in mind I've yet to build a a test project get into this and you know start having a go Uh, so this this might not be the best of impressions of it when I actually get down to doing it. But I can see that there's a home for my sort of global dependencies to live. Um, so that's, that's so. do you think you're going to start maybe sort of like drop your sort of coordinator patterns that you've been working with and maybe just sort of use the sort of Swift UI stuff, almost just like the stock Apple potentially sort of, uh, approach? Yeah, potentially. So I've tweeted a bit about this. I think that this this could be a situation where I could put the coordinator pattern down um, and and do things, you know, just on a view-to-view kind of level. Uh, I I need to play. I need to get into it and sort of see see where the rough edges are. Uh, The coordinator pattern has kind of saved my bacon an awful lot. Um, So part of me is, is kind of reticent to put it down, but I do need to rethink uh, what does that pattern mean with Swift UI, what is the most effective way of doing it? Uh, because a, a view with Swift UI can still receive um, dependencies injected straight through into its body, and it could be quite logical for a, a coordinator to still be the, the the object that has responsibility for doing that. Yeah, uh, that that could be a good approach, but it, if that is the approach i feel like it's going to come with a little bit of other overhead in terms of how views then talk back to that coordinator object uh, so a good example would be if you hit a button and it, it's um it changes navigation flow so you're in a, a navigation controller effectively or a list list view or something and you press the button and it then moves you through to the next level um, if I've got a coordinator in the mix, the coordinator is going to have to receive that message and then handle whatever you're seeing next and then pass that back through to the view that you're on to then go there or something. I need to figure out what that flow is. Um, and that overhead, if there's too much kind of to me to you between the objects where things are just being passed around, um, kind of ends up being a point, well, you may as well not bother. Um, if, if, if you get me, the, the, the coordinator could be redundant in that situation. I, I don't know yet, and that's something I want to play with. Um, for me, the, the, the big appealing thing out of all of this is that, hey, it looks like a load of problems might be solved, you know, in terms of dependency injection and how I handle getting stuff down to the view layer. Um, and it looks like maybe I need to be kind of open-minded about exactly what pattern I'm using. Uh, there might be a, a new way of doing this that is a bit more streamlined. Uh, so that, for me, is, is quite a big deal. You know, it's quite a radical rethink about how I'm, I'm currently building apps. 
uh, potentially. I mean, if it's not that radical a departure, it certainly it, it then needs to be a case of uh, here's this other way of, of using my existing patterns that is actually a bit better. Uh, because if it's, if it's not more streamlined, if it's not better, then I may as well be changing things completely. So that's, it's quite a cool position to be in. I didn't expect that. You know, that, mm. that wasn't what I was expecting out of this year's uh, Dub Dub at all. I just love how it gives you kind of so much stuff for free as well. Mm. Things that were typically, you know, quite a bit of work to do. And, you know, you could tell in the, in the way they were pitching it to developers is that, you know, we do a lot of the boring groundwork for you now and then you can focus on what makes your app unique rather than sort of rustling around in the code trying to figure out how to implement um, things like you know, dynamic text or uh, right-to-left text. Mm-hmm. And then you automatically get dark mode if you kind of, you know, play the game right i think that's that's, that's it's amazing um yeah and i, I think that's going to allow us especially i think to me as sort of like a, a one-man show and yourself this kind of stuff is really important because yeah, yeah. You, you know especially when you're doing it one man show at like a side hustle kind of level you don't have a lot of time and the more stuff apple can give you for free um You'd, you'd be a fool not to take take them up on the offer. Um, so I think I'll be definitely uh, definitely moving across to this. I haven't actually played it yet, though, at all. So no. I'm sat here talking about it, having only really watched WWDC videos. I I feel I feel like I need to do something about hardware. Actually, you know, I've been saying, oh, I'm waiting for this 16 inch MacBook Pro. Well, actually, now I'm in a position where I've sold my iMac to to fund whatever MacBook I end up getting, and I'm now on a 2010 MacBook Pro, which is capped at High Sierra. Yeah. Um, am I right in thinking Xcode 11 works on Mojave, but you don't get the live previews? That's right, that, yeah. Right in, yeah. Okay. But if you if you want live previews, you have to do Catalina. Yes, I believe okay. so. Have, have, you, have, you, have you done anything with Catalina yet? I've installed it. I just haven't installed um, Xcode 11 on there, and I've not put any of my um, iOS devices on the beta. Uh, which was my intention. I was intending on putting the beta on my iPad. And then right. I, I heard a couple of horror stories about um, it bricking somebody's device. Ooh. And then that gave me pause. Uh, and then I've been busy since then, essentially. So I'll be coming back to it. I've got the uh, the Catalina boot. Uh, but so, so how have you how have you installed that? Have you got that like an external SSD, or are you doing internal? Um, I've installed that using the instructions that Apple have for creating. Uh, it's like a um, APFS partition um, yeah. on the same drive, and the partition itself is structured in a way that it, it kind of just grows to take up the space it needs. Yeah, okay, that's clever, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, I mean, you know, I, I'm actually. I could probably do without running two instances of Mac OS and all the rest of it for the, in terms of space. Uh, so I, I do need to keep an eye on how that's growing, but it's it's just worked, essentially. And, and uh, we can link the instructions in the show notes, actually, if anybody's interested. But it, it's quite a good way of doing it if you've got some free space um, and, and don't really mind that, that sort of um, potential of, of the two OSs on the same um, drive. I mean, there is something to be said for sort of, you know, having a separate drive and keeping everything quite quite separate. Uh, it just means, you know, guaranteed that the two instances are not going to interfere with each other in any way. Uh, but for me, yeah. uh, it's, work, it's worked pretty well. Uh, I can perhaps report back on that a bit more um, with a bit more certainty when I've used it a bit more. Because uh, it's fair yeah. that I, I kind of just got halfway through, like I, I got to the stage of then being able to install Xcode. Um, and I've not got back to it uh, since. I think I should probably get myself an Apple developer profile as well, because I don't have one at the moment. Mm. Can you believe that? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I, I think of myself as, oh, yeah, I'm you know, doing iOS dev and stuff. I don't even have an Apple dev profile. I'm just using Xcode that I've got installed, just yep. building to the simulator, basically. Um, so, yeah, I should probably get on that, actually, <laughs> sort that out. So, so I can actually get some... But then saying that, I don't even have any hardware that can run the 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 Mac OS beta at the minute, so it's kind of a little bit pointless getting it, perhaps. But yeah, yeah, it just seems like a, like an I'm in this odd position at the minute where I'm I'm just like there is actually now a pressure on me to actually sort something out. So I need to yeah need need to get on that because I feel like Swift UI is how I'm going to build my my apps going forward, and 
I uh, yeah, I should get on it really. Yeah, have, have you thought about the potential of of like getting some sort of interim machine? Uh, I don't know. Um, part of me thinking, do I just bite the bullet and get an eight core, fifteen inch MacBook Pro? Yeah, because the the pre yeah, the, there's two models from Apple. The eight core one is actually it's a lot of money, um, but actually quite good value in that you're getting the eight core CPU, you're getting a five twelve SSD. Yeah, I think you get a slightly better GPU, but honestly, I couldn't care less. I'd be quite happy if they shipped it without a dedicated GPU, and we just—I lived on the Intel one. That'd be mm-hmm. fine by me. Um, just maybe get an eGPU if I wanted to do serious stuff. But I think that represents a good value, so I don't know whether I just get that and call it done. Yep. Mind you, I'm going to be kicking myself like crazy in October if they announce the 16-inch because I feel like I've been—I put my stake in the ground. Like I am waiting for the 16-inch MacBook Pro, and I really thought it was going to come at Dub Dub. Yep. Foolishly, perhaps. Even after they announced the 8-core the week before, I was, there was still like 5% of me that was like, maybe, just maybe they'll announce it, but no. I mean, even even the autumn might be too soon, really. It might be. Um, considering, it, what was it, May, they announced the 15-inch revision. Um, and, the, yeah, the 13-inch MacBook Pros, they all got revised. Yeah. If they were to release it in October... It would probably be as like an additional tier to the lineup in that this is the super high end and it would sit alongside the current 15 inches. It would only be, what, five months old by that point? Yep. At which point they could very well price it at twenty nine ninety nine or thirty two ninety nine. at which point I can't afford that machine anyway, no matter how much I want it. Yeah. Um, even if I could afford it, I think I would emotionally struggle to spend that much money on it. So... All the roads point back to the 15-inch. They do. Um, yeah, I just need to get over it, really, and sort something out, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, hopefully things kind of align for you to, to sort of figuring that one out. I, I guess you're kind of holding out for a, a discount coming to the 15-inches. Potentially, yeah. And also there's a part of me that's thinking, actually, with my arrangements at the minute in sort of my overall life arrangements... It, there's change coming um i don't know if we've even spoken about it on this show much to be honest um we can do now if you like yeah go for it it. Um, yeah okay so wind the clock back a year my main sort of role i suppose was taking care of my son charlie and then my wife came off on maternity leave to have our son oliver so i got myself a job i'm still in that job and now she's going to go back to work and Basically, for financial reasons, it makes no sense to put the two kids into nursery. I might as well stay home and look after them both. In fact, if you're looking at what I would earn at my job, I'd almost be in debt to put them in nursery. That sounds crazy. So, yeah, yeah. (laughs) for every hour I work, I'd be sort of owing money. (laughs) It's just like, that makes no sense. No. Um, So we kind of thought long and hard about what to do. And, you know, Heather kind of said, actually, this is a great opportunity for you because you know yes you can look after the kids but the kids nap and you know there are other fragments of time throughout the day yeah maybe you can pursue your ios endeavors because she knows i really want to make indie ios dev my my thing sort of long term um so that's kind of the plan really um from september i'll be sort of you know my nine to five if you like will be sort of looking after charlie and oliver yeah fun with two of them <laughs> um, um and luckily work have been really good about it because i thought i'd have to leave to be quite honest um yeah i've been very open about the situation and they've been really good and said oh why don't we reduce your hours right down and you work every other weekend so work a weekend then have a weekend at home sort oh, of wow. with the family okay and so you still keep a foot through the door in in that world as well Exactly, yeah, which is super awesome. And obviously when Heather's on her school holidays, which she gets a lot of, um, not jealous at all, um, <laughs> I can obviously do more hours at work and they're kind of cool with that as well. So it's like, right. couldn't have couldn't have panned out better. Um, sort of got a, I don't like to call it a backup plan because it's, it's not a backup plan really, but like I've still got the job, as, yeah. the, the, the jobby job is like the, the dependable income. 
and you know meantime evenings and maybe like a couple of hours in the afternoon when they both go down for a sleep i can do some, you know sort of focus on my ios dev and uh yeah i think it's going to be a, a cool opportunity i kind of feel like sort of life's on a bit of like a replay because obviously i did this with charlie yeah um, first time around and that wasn't as much for the financial reasons because um, obviously putting one child into nursery is a lot cheaper than two children into nursery yeah it was more a point of we were in a position where we could afford to do it so we could you know have her had some time alone with charlie when she was on maternity leave then it was like why don't you have some time with charlie yes yeah. you know is it we were very fortunate to be in that position and it was something you know we, it wasn't going to come around again because a charlie would grow up and we wouldn't have that time again yeah so we, we kind of took the opportunity when it was there we were fortunate enough that we saved to allow us to do that and obviously now it's kind of come around in a similar way again um so that's uh that's that's really really cool cool. really really cool so obviously first time around i was kind of focusing on doing sort of web development for clients on the side sort of in that downtime you know when when they nap and in the evenings and stuff and it never gave me a lot of satisfaction really um I hate to say it, but I really didn't enjoy it. So I'm just really excited now to have sort of my own iOS dev as the focus for that time. Because I always felt if I ever did any iOS dev, it was always like, oh, I probably should be pitching for work or doing other web dev projects. Yeah. And I always felt guilty for even thinking about my iOS projects. So, yeah, it's going to be really, really nice, I think. I'm looking forward to it. That's awesome. I don't know. I think we've maybe spoken about it again privately, but I kind of just sort of, I don't think I'd really want to work as a developer for someone else again. Yeah. Um, I like I was talking to someone about it saying, oh, this is what I want to do, you know, doing like my iOS development. They're like, oh, why don't you just um, get a job as an iOS developer? It's like, it's not the same. It wouldn't be the same. I don't think. I think what appeals to me about being an indie iOS developer is sort of you do, you have to come up with an idea you have to test the idea you have to like sketch out all the designs and turn those really like crude sketches into a a nice ui and then develop the idea even further and then start coding and then once you've coded it you have to market it and you have to go out and you know sort of put it in front of people and that whole process sort of end-to-end is kind of what appeals to me versus just being a developer for a company in fact makes any kind of sense yeah it does it does it's uh, about ownership of the whole end-to-end and and being not just the dev but being a product designer a ux designer part of the uh marketing and sales on that end of stuff you know it's you know, the full range of, of product development the full stack uh yeah yeah and you don't get that in uh in, in most salaried ios dev jobs you know things can become very much just about developing you know what you've been given um depending on where you're at and, and what how the company works and that sort of thing it, i mean i'm quite fortunate i think in in my uh, nine to five where uh we, we have a situation a, a way of working that means i can have quite a lot of active input back into the yeah the design and the look and feel of something so it doesn't often sort of feel um kind of closed off from from that sort of creativity uh, but I know a lot of places that, you know, you have a dev job, it doesn't work like that. You've got the Jira ticket, you've got the design, and, and that's it. You know, just just build it. Um, so you're almost like a bricklayer, but you you know, yeah. coded your bricks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, th- and that would really turn me off. And I, I feel very you know, fortunate that I don't have that in, in my sort of, you know, nine to five, as it were. Um, but I, I can yeah. appreciate uh, very much your situation of, of kind of looking and going, well, this is something I really enjoy and I want to shoot for that, you know, and, and kind of anything else is sort of a dilute version of that, I guess, or, or a version that kind of takes away. That is a really good way of explaining it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great little soundbite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because I, I think when I was first kind of um, getting into, to, to kind of doing iOS development uh, for other people, that was my fear. That that was my biggest fear with it. And I've been lucky that it hasn't been very much like that at all uh, with, with with the things that I've ended up doing. Um, but it, it was a fear, and it is certainly part of why there are certain types of, of iOS developer jobs that I just would never go for. You know, that we, we have here in, in 
New Zealand, a lot of the jobs that turn up tend to be for for some of the big corporates and the big banks and that sort of stuff. And I look and I sort of go, well, I'm sure the money's great, but I don't think I would be thrilled to turn up and, and build the next thing in the sprints uh, that's, that's, you know, been, been laid out um, in that kind of quite controlled and regimented sort of way. Uh, it would just be sort of widget building, I think. And that might be unfair. You know, I might be closing myself off from, from opportunities or ideas there, and, and the reality of those roles could be quite different, but it's certainly how it feels, and, and, and that would turn me off a lot. So, yeah, I can totally appreciate that you kind of want to keep this as, as your sort of, you know, your your own thing and to keep that control. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and what an opportunity I've got. Like, how lucky am I, really, when I think about it, to have this as a, as a, an opportunity that you know a lot of other people might not have so i'm very yeah. very grateful to even be in the position to to try it that's awesome um, and it's, it's really awesome as, as your friend to sort of see you have that opportunity and, and be in a position where you're kind of looking and going yep yeah, i'm gonna go for that you know because i sort of think well that, that you've got to go for these things when, when they present you've got to give them a try uh, because the other alternative is to sort of look back in a few years and go well i wish i'd done that you know that was there's the thing a, there's that a little part been. of me that feels like i have tried this once before already like with like my other apps that i've made and you know frankly if you look at it they were commercial failures so it's not like i've got a great track record here <laughs> um, i almost feel like i'm sort of picking myself up and dusting myself off and being like, right, we're going to have another go this time. Um, There's this opportunity to have another go and have another go we shall. And, you know, um, part of me thinks I've been foolish trying this again. Maybe I should just, you know, be like, it didn't work. Um, And keep in mind, before I had um, my company that I launched Armchair through, I'd been, I'd launched some apps again through under my own name before that. So really this is almost like try number three and it's not like I've really hit the, had any kind of meaningful success on the app store so far, but I, I feel compelled to keep trying again. Maybe it's a fool's errand. I don't know. Um, uh, but but you, I know that I'm happy when I'm doing it. So that's, that's got to count for something. Okay. We'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes or if you could leave us a recommendation in overcast by hitting that star button, that will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, also we have our slack channel we'd love to invite you to join our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out if you'd like to join uh, just leave us a message on twitter at wfr podcast and we'll get you signed up so dave before we run off where can people find you you can find me on twitter at dw roboheads that's robohead spelt with a z and you can find my apps at roboheads.com again that's robohead spelt with a z how about you, Dave? You can follow me online at davenot.co.uk or on Twitter, I'm at underscore davenot.